Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 360. Today's big Bible question is, how did a baby overcome a dragon? Well, happy Monday and happy Christmas week, friends. Shout outs and welcome to new listeners from Queensland, Australia, parts unknown China, Birmingham, Alabama, my former stomping grounds, and Tucson, Arizona. Thanks for joining us. Our readings today begin with 2 Chronicles 25, then Zechariah 8, John 11, and Revelation 12. And after today, there are only 10 episodes left in the year. And if you've been with us the whole time, you've read or listened through the entire Old Testament once, the Psalms twice, and the New Testament twice. So, wow, that's a pretty big deal. Well, let's open the show with a comment on yesterday's episode from our friend WWH from Parts Unknown, and he writes, The California equivalent of stoning or shooting is to unfriend a person on social media. Which is very true. We were talking about yesterday's episode, the habit of the Jewish people to get mad at people and want to stone them, and comparing it to modern day equivalents. And he also had a more serious comment where he says, Jesus claimed to be God in several ways. Number one, he did things that only God can do, such as forgiving sin, healing the blind, lame and sick, and raising the dead. Number two, Jesus said things that only God is permitted to say, such as your sins are forgiven. Number three, Jesus allowed things that only God may allow, as when Peter worshipped him, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas also worshipped him, my Lord and my God. Jesus received this worship instead of tearing his clothes and throwing ashes or dirt. In the John 10 passage, the most salient point is the reaction of the listeners. Some have argued that Jesus meant that he was one with God in his intentions, purposes, and actions. This is clearly contradicted by the fact that they took up stones to stone him. Even calling himself the Son of Man is a highly provocative claim. For instance, see where we get that from, uh, Daniel 7.13 and also Matthew 26.64. As for whether he said the exact phrase, in John 8.58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, and I am is the name of God, as we see in Exodus 3.14. And in the context of his identity, is pretty much saying, I am God, like we said yesterday on the show. Again, Note the reaction. They took up stones to stone him. Stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. Well done, sir. Thank you, WWH, for your succinctness. And also, I would like to ask our Bible Reading Podcast listeners to pray for a fellow listener and friend, Mr. JW, who has lost his sister this past week and is planning her funeral and having to fly across the country and dealing with all sorts of stresses and complications for that. Please pray for our friend J.W. Today's episode is going to be very, very different. Instead of our normal commentary, I'd like to read you a book I wrote for Christmas 2019 called The Baby Who Overcame a Dragon, a surprisingly accurate Christmas story. Now, I'm reading this book because it's entirely based on one of our passages today, Revelation chapter 12, but in a slightly fictionalized sense. The book is available on Amazon. Just search for Baby Who Overcame a Dragon. And uh, you can also come to BibleReadingPodcast.com. There's a link to it in today's show notes, but it's easy to find on Amazon. The Baby Who Overcame a Dragon. Not many books are written with that title. And it has some amazing artwork in it from an up-and-coming illustrator named Kinsey Anders. So uh, feel free to check it out. And after I read the book, we're going to continue with our scriptures. So this is a slightly fictionalized, well, 
fictionalized account of Revelation chapter 12. Captain Ingle nervously fingered the oiled leather strap on his scabbard. It was an interesting day, not that he ever lived through a dull day serving under such creative commander-in-chief, but this day was unusual. Something big was stirring and it wasn't a mouse. Ingle's assignment was a bit on the odd side for one of his position and rank. He was guarding a young, very pregnant woman named Miriam, along with her carpenter husband, Yosef ben Yachov. Perhaps you expected different names there. Miriam was very, very pregnant, and despite the fact that she was spending the night in the basement of a relative's home where the animals were kept, despite the poorness of their surroundings, the baby that Miriam carried was extremely important. You see, Miriam was pregnant with Sunrise, the long-expected royal baby who would be king. King, that is, if he managed to survive the first few days of his life. The trouble is that Miriam's baby, even though he has not been born yet, already had a powerful enemy. This enemy knew the ancient prophecies that were all about the birth of Miriam's baby, how he would one day follow in the footsteps of his ancestor and become the greatest king in history, but the enemy wanted to be king himself and thought he deserved the position far more than any peasant woman's child. And that enemy, dark, cunning, and ruthless, had already made multiple attempts to end the baby before he was even born. One of the attempts had almost work and worked and had caught Engel and his cherubic company off guard in its cleverness. You see, and I need to be delicate here with young ears listening and all, but baby Sunrise had been conceived under, let's say, less than normal circumstances. Though the carpenter and Miriam were engaged to be married, They had never, shall we say, actively discussed having children. Therefore, the carpenter was quite astonished when his young fiancée informed him that she had become pregnant with Sunrise, the once and future king. Now, of course, the poor carpenter was devastated by the news, figuring that Miriam must have actively discussed having children with somebody He withdrew from her to ponder his options, and it was at this point that the enemy chose to strike and seek to snuff out Sunrise before he even saw the light of day. What was the enemy's play? Well, he tried to convince the carpenter to divorce his fiancée for the crime of, well, we'll say becoming pregnant with Sunrise outside of his knowing. If that plan had succeeded, it was likely that Miriam, along with the unborn Sunrise, would have been stoned to death in that society for the capital crime of adultery. Happily, the plan failed thanks to the timely intervention of Ingle's commander, commanding officer, who persuaded the carpenter to go ahead and marry Miriam. And that's exactly what happened. The carpenter Yosef was a good man and he loved Miriam very much, so he took great care of her and did his best to protect the growing life inside of her. Unfortunately, when Miriam should have been nestled snug in her bed awaiting the arrival of her child, she and her husband were forced to take a long journey to the city of Bethlehem where they had to seek lodging in a most inconvenient place to await the birth of baby Sunrise. As Ingle pondered this, he thought back to the time that he had first heard about this baby that he was to guard. It was while he was in the company of Miriam's relatives, an old wrinkled priest and his equally old and frail wife, Elisheva. They had just somehow, some way, had a baby naturally born to Elisheva, and the priestly husband was so joyfully overcome by this that he had given a prophecy about his son and the royal baby now resting in Miriam's womb. Some of the words of that prophecy included this remarkable promise. 
Because of the tender mercy of our God, sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is Luke 1, 78 and 79. This baby was to be both an important leader and a bringer of hope and peace. So protecting baby sunrise from the enemy was the assignment of Ingle's company of elite warriors. A rather difficult assignment, thought Ingle, as he stared across the void at the usurper, the one who would be king. This rebel was not a typical assassin. I'm afraid he was far worse than that, much more terrifying. He was, in point of fact, a very large, very intimidating, and diabolically beautiful red dragon. Ingle watched that dragon, wondering when it would make its move. He wasn't exactly nervous, but he was in as heightened a state of alertness as he could possibly be. Every muscle in his body was coiled and ready to attack, should the fearsome dragon even so much as lift an eyebrow in the direction of the writhing and bellowing Miriam, who was, at any second, about to give birth to baby Sunrise. Uh, Maybe I should have mentioned that before. Now that I think about it, I suppose that's a rather important detail, so let me give you a picture of what is going on. Miriam and her husband are on the ground floor of a very modest and very full house in Bethlehem. Miriam is as pregnant as any woman you have ever seen. Maybe a little gassy, lots of heartburn, swollen ankles, and screaming in pain. A short distance away, Captain Ingle is stationed with several companies of elite warriors standing ready and near, for all the world appearing to be prepared for any onslaught from any enemy imaginable. Much further away, but still within sight distance, the red dragon set, eyes blazing with a fearsome intelligence and burdened with a less than glorious purpose. There were animals, too, on the ground floor of that home, and other people milling around outside. It was, from all appearances, a very busy night, anything but silent. I would like to pause here for a moment and reassure you that this really is a Christmas story. I know dragons, captains, swords, political intrigues, those things are about as Christmassy as an ice cream cone, but bear with me here. This is really and truly the story of Christmas as the Bible tells it. I promise, wait until the end of the story to find out, the time was drawing near. If their enemy was going to attack, it would happen at any moment. And then it did just that. It happened. For the hours leading up to the attack, the dragon's face was placid but fierce. The millisecond before it pounced, that face betrayed no change, demonstrated no emotion, gave no clue of the doom that was about to be unleashed. Thus it was that, as quick and prepared as he was, Ingle was caught flat-footed when the dragon exploded into action. Even General Gabriel, commanding the whole protection operation, did not react fast enough to prevent the devouring. There was no warning, no way to anticipate the attack. No change occurred in the dragon's eyes, and he didn't even rock back on his heels in anticipation of pouncing forward. He simply accelerated to top speed almost effortlessly, a terrible blur of motion that would have been graceful were it not so vile. The dragon crossed an immense expanse of space in an imperceptible amount of time, even to an angel. It's finally happening, Ingle thought to himself as his muscles contracted in preparation for a vain attempt to intercept his enemy. Oh, Abba Barra, Father, Creator, help us to stop him, prayed Ingle, flying as fast as he could possibly fly. Faster, 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 Ingle shouted to himself and he also became a blur, wings, shield, and sword glistening in the sky, 
an inspiring sight for those with eyes who could see such things. Something like panic crossed his mind as he realized that, despite their vigilance, they would be too late. The babe and his mother were about to be consumed, and no power on earth was able to stop it from happening. This realization did not slow Ingle's reaction, however. Though he knew that he would be too late, he still erupted in desperate action, racing to protect the doomed baby and his mu- Well, I see that some of you are a little nervous here, and I'm afraid that some of you might be listening with your kids, and they might be a little upset with me if I make anybody cry night right now. So I gotta tell you, the dragon does not eat the baby. I know I just told you that Ingle, Gabriel, and the other protectors would not be fast enough to save Baby Sunrise from the dragon, but that was just to give us a little bit of suspense, to build some drama. You know how it goes. That terrible old dragon would certainly have eaten the baby, as awful as that sounds, if he was allowed to, but he wasn't allowed to, so don't panic. As fast and majestic as the attack of the dragon was, as beautifully precise as his aim was, as flawless and cunning as his plan was executed, it fell short somehow. The jaws of the dragon clamped down on the manger with an ear-splitting noise, rather like the sound a star makes when it goes supernova, only a little louder. But the mouth of the dragon merely consumed nothing. Years after the fact, Ingle still couldn't explain exactly what had happened that night. The dragon simply missed, and I have to say that simply isn't the best word here, but there really isn't a better one that I've been able to come up with. This mishap greatly confused the dragon, maybe for the first time ever. When he opened his mouth from the terrible strike, he was astonished to find that he had completely whiffed in his attempt to consume Sunrise and his mother. In his rage, he thrashed about, destroying towns, killing other children, sending a flood of violence from his mouth to consume the newborn king, but in all of the confusion... The dragon simply could not find his target, no matter how carefully or violently it looked. It was to him as if Sunrise, Miriam, and the carpenter had simply disappeared. Ingle knew better, of course. He knew at the very least that his supreme commander had played a big role in the dragon's off-target strike. Ingle knew this because he somehow perceived that even though the dragon was impossibly fast, his commander was faster still. Somehow the commander had moved Sunrise out of the way of the death strike, and somehow the commander spirited away Sunrise and his family to a sort of divine witness protection program away from the gleaming fangs of the dragon. Baby Sunrise grew up to be mighty and good, every bit as wonderful a king as had been expected and more. One day, much later, the dragon returned, just as fierce and menacing as he'd ever been. On that day, the greatest battle in history erupted, the mighty dragon struck out at sunrise again, and he did not miss this time, landing a terrible blow that shook the very earth and stars. Sunrise staggered back, defeated to all who observed the battle. Even the supreme commander, who had earlier intervened to save Sunrise, turned his back on this terrible day, at least for a time. Sunrise was left to the fury of the dragon, and the penalty for the wrongs of all of the sons of humanity came crashing down on him a burden more than any being could bear. But that was not the end of the story. Somehow, Sunrise was not completely defeated. When all seemed lost, he was aided yet again by his father, the Supreme Commander, who raised him up from the grave and from the dead to finish the battle with the dragon and finish the battle 
he did. As terrible as the strike was that staggered Sunrise, more wondrous still was the blow that the resurrection of Sunrise laid upon the dragon, giving that proud and powerful fiend a mortal wound that he would never recover from. The end. Now, some of you might be a little confused. You might be thinking, you promised me a Christmas story. I want my money back. Well, number one, I hope you didn't pay for this podcast. Number two, hear me out. That was indeed a Christmas story. It was the Christmas story. In fact, it was a much more accurate Christmas story than the ones that include snow, donkeys, trees, yule logs, elves on the shelves, or merry ho-ho-hoers. That night, when our Lord Jesus was born, it was anything but a silent night. There was a crying baby, a screaming Mary, um, Joseph quaking, shepherd shaking, dragons snarling, demons howling, angels watching, ready and prowling. Indeed, If our nativity scenes would be actually a little more accurate, there would be no wise men or camels. They came a bit later. The cherubs, winged heavenly beings that guarded God's throne, keep keeping watch would be much more fierce. And there would be a large red dragon with toxic drool dripping out of his razor sharp teeth, straining in immense frustration, muscles ripping and great drops of sweat falling off his brow, trying to devour the baby, but held back by a hand stronger than he can imagine. Don't believe me? I don't blame you, noble Berean, but let's check out the Bible passage to be sure. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness, where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. And the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. And that, my friends, is the real and biblical story of Christmas. Of course, I don't know the angel names that were there. 
and how exactly all of that went down. But on that holy night, a very real, very terrifying dragon waited to end Christmas before it even started. And yet, even with our Lord Jesus as helpless as a baby, the enemy, Satan, the dragon, failed. Today, my friends, we remain at war with the dragon, but we are led by a great king, Sunrise, you might know him as Jesus, who has overcome the dragon and will eventually throw him into the lake of fire, see Revelation 20, verse 10. So here is the meaning and moral of Christmas. God's love is so vast and so powerful, his purpose is so sure and so certain that no power in the universe can derail him. Neither his love nor his purpose for your life will be impeded by any force. He is utterly sovereign over all. When we celebrate the birth of sunrise, Jesus, we celebrate the fact that once and for all, God through Jesus overcame hell, overcame Satan, and overcame death and suffering. This year, celebrate Christmas by believing the good news that the child given in a manger grew up to give his life for the sins of humanity and died in our place on the cross so that all who turn from their sins and look to him in wholehearted faith would have eternal life in Jesus. So look to Jesus in faith and celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world and his soon approaching second coming. Amen. Well, again, that was from my book written last year. Actually, it was written several years ago, but it was published last year with great art by Kinsey Anders and called The Baby Who Overcame a Dragon, a surprisingly accurate Christmas story. And you can find it on Amazon. Well, let's continue. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. Amaziah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoaddin. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. As soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, he executed his servants who had killed his father, the king. However, he did not put their children to death because, as it is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers are not to die because of children, and children are not to die because of fathers, but each one will die for his own sin. Then Amaziah gathered Judah and assembled them according to ancestral families, according to commanders of thousands, and according to commanders of hundreds. He numbered those twenty years old or more for all Judah and Benjamin. He found there to be three hundred thousand fit young men who could serve in the army, bearing spear and shield. Then for seventy-five hundred pounds of silver, he hired one hundred thousand valiant warriors from Israel. However, A man of God came to him and said, King, do not let Israel's army go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, all the Ephraimites. But if you go with them, do it. Be strong for battle, but God will make you stumble before the the enemy, for God has the power to help or to make one stumble. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, What should I do about the 7,500 pounds of silver I gave to Israel's division? The man of God replied, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah released the division that came to him from Ephraim to go home. But they got very angry with Judah and returned home in a fierce rage. Amaziah strengthened his position and led his people to the Salt Valley. He struck down 10,000 Sarahites and the Judahites captured 10,000 alive. They took them to the top of a cliff where they threw them off and all of them were dashed to pieces. As for the men of the division that Amaziah sent back so they would not go with him into battle... They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, struck down 3,000 of their people, and took a great deal of plunder. After Amaziah came from the attack on the Edomites, he brought the gods of the Sarites and set them up as his gods. He worshipped before them and burned incense to them, so the Lord's anger was against Amaziah, and he sent a prophet to him who said, Why have you sought a people's gods that could not rescue their own people from you? 
While he was still speaking to him, the king asked, Have we made you the king's counselor? Stop! Why should you lose your life? So the prophet stopped, but he said, I know that God intends to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my advice. King Amaziah of Judah took counsel and sent word to Jehoash, son of Jehoiahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, and challenged him, Come, let's meet face to face. King Jehoash of Israel sent word to King of Amaziah of Judah, saying, The thistle in Lebanon sent a message to the cedar in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as a wife. Then a wild animal in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You have said, Look, I have defeated Edom, and you have become overconfident that you will get glory. Now stay at home. Why stir up such trouble so that you will fall in Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for this turn of events was from God in order to hand them over to their enemies because they went after the gods of Edom. So King Jehoiash of Israel advanced. He and King Amaziah of Judah met face to face at Beth Shemesh that belonged to Judah. Judah was routed before Israel, and each man fled to his own tent. King Jehoiash of Israel captured Judah's King Amaziah, son of Joash, son of Jehoiahaz, at Beth Shemesh. Then Jehoiash took him to Jerusalem and broke down 200 yards of Jerusalem's wall from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. He took all of the gold, silver, all the utensils that were found with Obed-Edom in God's temple, the treasures of the king's palace, and the hostages. Then he returned to Samaria. Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, lived 15 years after the death of Israel's king Jehoiash, son of Jehoiahaz. The rest of the events of Amaziah's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. From the time Amaziah turned from following the Lord, a conspiracy was formed against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. However, men were sent after him to Lachish, and they put him to death there. They carried him back on horses and buried him with his ancestors in the city of Judah. Zechariah chapter 8. The word of the Lord of Armies came. The Lord of Armies says this, I am extremely zealous for Zion. I am jealous for her with great wrath. The Lord says this, I will return to Zion and live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of Armies will be called the holy mountain. The Lord of Armies says this, Old men and women will again sit along the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of advanced age. The streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in them. The Lord of Armies says this, Though it may seem impossible to the remnant of this people in those days, should it also seem impossible to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. The Lord of Armies says this, I will save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. And the Lord of Armies says this, Let your hands be strong, you who now hear these words that the prophet spoke when the foundations were laid for the rebuilding of the temple the house of the Lord of Armies. For prior to those days, neither people nor animals had wages. There was no safety from the enemy for anyone who came or went, for I turned everyone against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. For they will sow in peace. The vine will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce and the skies will yield their dew. I will give the remnant of this people all these things as an inheritance As you have been a curse among the nations, house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Don't be afraid. Let your hands be strong, for the Lord of armies says this, As I resolved to treat you badly when your ancestors provoked me to anger and I did not relent, says the Lord of armies, so I have resolved again in these days to do what is good to Jerusalem and the house of Judah. Don't be afraid. 
These are the things you must do. Speak truth to one another. Make true and sound decisions within your city gates. Do not plot evil in your hearts against your neighbor and do not love perjury, for I hate all of this. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the word of the Lord of armies came to me. The Lord of armies says this, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth will become times of joy, gladness, and cheerful festivals for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. The Lord of armies says this, People will yet come. The residents of many cities, the residents of one city will go to another, saying, Let's go at once to plead for the Lord's favor and to seek the Lord of armies. I am also going. Many peoples and strong nations will come to seek the Lord of armies in Jerusalem and to plead for the Lord's favor. The Lord of armies says this, In those days, ten men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man, tightly urging, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. John chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was a brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Aren't there twelve hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too so that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were there in the house with her, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb 
It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said, and Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen straps and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, What are we going to do with this man? Because he's doing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover, They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so they could arrest him. Well, have mercy. Friends, may it be a good Monday for you. May the Lord be with you in a mighty way. May you see his hand and his goodness today with wide open eyes, and may he bless your coming and going. Good day to you, and Godspeed.